Tonight on Talking Politics, we're taking on the politics of COVID across Massachusetts. The latest surge has ripped wide open old wounds and divides between political leaders and the people in schools, businesses, and with the public at large, as the battle over safety versus personal freedoms once again comes to a head. For the second time in as many months, state legislators are calling on Governor Charlie Baker to appear before their Joint Committee on COVID-19 and Emergency Preparedness to talk about how he's dealing with the pandemic challenges we're facing now and those still to come. Of course, with complaints about impossible to find home tests, hours long waits for PCR swabs, and chaos surrounding school testing issues, mask concerns, major staffing shortages, not to mention concerned parents, there is finger pointing aplenty. But where does the buck stop with each of these issues and who should be stepping up where? I'm joined by GBH News Politics Editor Peter Kadzis, James Jimmy Hills, host of Java with Jimmy, your community-driven platform, and State Senator Becca Rausch, who represents the Norfolk, Bristol, and Middlesex districts of Massachusetts. Thank you all for being here. Becca Rausch, let me start with you. You've been critical for a while of the Baker administration's handling of the pandemic. I'd like to hear what specifically you think of the choices he's made in the last few weeks as we headed into the winter holidays and then came out of them. The Baker administration has really missed the boat every step of the way, going all the way back to the March 2020 decisions on whether or not to close schools in the first place at the outset of this pandemic. We, as you've seen and just recalled moments ago, we have seen hours long waits if people can access testing at all. We've seen counterfeit masks that were even recalled in Canada distributed to the teachers who are supposed to show up for in-person schooling every single day, which of course they can't because we have already seen school and daycare interruptions immediately following the winter holiday season. We are missing vaccination in communities. We are seeing drastic inequities in vaccination rates for children. We are seeing a complete and total lack of education and outreach efforts specifically for parents so we can help get our youth vaccinated, which we all know is our best and strongest measure to protect against the spread of COVID-19. And perhaps most blatantly, we have seen the governor specifically reject data-driven scientific recommendations from expert after expert after expert at the local, state, and national levels with regard to indoor masking during this biggest surge to date, where we have surpassed a million COVID cases, where we have seen case counts on a daily basis record-breaking multiple times over due to the Omicron variant. And while we know that Omicron uh, may uh, fizzle out, uh, you know, burn itself out, hopefully soon, there will be another variant and another variant that comes after that. This isn't just a question of Baker's performance. It's a question of keeping our economy afloat, our kids and teachers safely in schools. And frankly, it's a question of life or death for thousands of our Bay Staters. And the governor is almost wholly absent. Hold those thoughts because we'll come back to some of what you want to see happen in the future. You mentioned teachers being frustrated with what's happened at the state level. I want to roll a little bit from Mary Najimi, the president of Mass Teachers Association, responding to some of what you just referenced a moment ago. Clearly, the Department of Education has shown they're not capable of managing this situation. So we need an agency, a state agency other than them 
to take over the COVID-19 testing and distribution of PPE, and we need an immediate investigation into these false claims about mask safety because it puts all of our school communities and our entire commonwealth in jeopardy. Uh, Becca Roush, is there an appetite among your colleagues in the legislature to follow the call that Mary Najimy is making there? I continue to have conversation after conversation with colleagues about the inadequacies and failures of the Baker administration to properly respond to this COVID-19 pandemic and this most recent surge. The purpose of the executive branch is in fact to act, to execute. It's right there in its name. And uh, we have, in fact, the COVID-19 committee um, has yet again asked the Baker administration to show up where they failed to do so the last time around. Um, I believe it's been quite a while, in fact, since the governor himself showed up to a legislative oversight hearing. And we continue to hear from constituents all across the Commonwealth saying, where is he? Where are the measures that we clearly need? Where is the consistency so that we don't have to figure out what's going on from one town to the next, from one county to the next, from one school to the I'm next? I'm going to take that as a maybe, and we'll come back to the legislature-baker relationship in a little bit. I, I want to get Peter and Jimmy in here. Peter, starting with you, one of the hallmarks of the governor's approach to this stage of the pandemic has been an insistence that in-person learning is absolutely essential and that there's no room whatsoever for going remote, even on a temporary basis. He made that point at a press conference in Salem earlier this week. Let's watch. The rules here are pretty simple. We count in-person school as school. If a school district's not open at some point over the course of the year, they can use snow days until they run out of snow days but they do need to provide their kids with 180 days of in-person education this year. Peter Kadzis, the state has, it seems, been setting records for COVID case counts on an almost daily basis. The hospital system is strained to the breaking point. Might it have been epidemiologically prudent for the governor to say, all right, we're in the midst of our sharpest surge yet. It's okay for schools to take, say, the week around or the week after New Year's off, maybe a couple weeks off. We can be a little bit flexible here in order to stem the spread of the virus. Do you think that would have made sense? It might have. Um, I'm not saying it wouldn't have, but the, the state just released the most recent numbers. It's 4.5% of all public school students have come down with uh, COVID and 8.75% of teachers and staff. Now, of all the people, if you're vaccinated, only 3.5% of the people end up in hospitals or dead. Those are the numbers. Let's, let's take a look, though, with the larger political situation. Here in Massachusetts, you'd think Baker is totally isolated. If you go across the country, these battles are, are being waged state by state. I find Chicago particularly interesting because you have Laurie Lightfoot, an extremely progressive mayor, who was at even more intense odds with the Chicago teachers unions who want what the local teachers unions want. You know, this reflects a larger division political division in the country. And that's those like the teachers unions who want us to maintain 
an emergency standing. And those like, say, Baker and um, uh, Laurie Lightfoot, who are in effect through their policies saying, we have to learn how to live with COVID. COVID is going to be with us in a while. I know I'm somewhat dodging your question here, but that's that's the bigger the bigger argument. And if I could just answer answer briefly, very briefly, the state senator's point. If the House Speaker wanted to bring it to a vote, um, uh, uh, mandating masks all across the state, it would happen. Um, you know, it's pure. So I, I see sort of a false dichotomy here. I understand why people are criticizing Baker because they disagree with him. That's their right. But the legislature has the power to mandate this. They're not doing it for a reason. You stole my my big finish that I wanted to come back to with Senator oh, Rouse. Sorry. No, it's totally fine. It's totally fine. Everyone who just saw that completely forget what Peter Kadzis just said. Now we got to <laughs> now we got to hop to Jimmy Hills. Um, Jimmy, the governor and Boston Mayor Michelle Wu have been engaged in a civil but pointed back and forth over the course of the week with the governor. Uh, critiquing some things that have happened in Boston and the mayor responding. Let's take a look at one exchange. This involved the governor saying that Boston uh, may be partially to blame for any staffing woes involving student transportation because they turned down an offer from the state to help with school buses. And then Mayor Wu effectively saying the, the governor has it wrong. Let's look. Boston, by the way, turned down the opportunity to participate with the National Guard on that program. So it was simply not an offer that we could benefit from at all and really take up on. Uh, Jimmy Hills, what is that exchange and this bigger back and forth that's been going on all week, what does it tell you about the relationship between Governor Baker and Mayor Wu at this point in time? So there are a couple of dynamics there. First of all, uh, uh, Adam, wanted to thank you for this first opportunity to participate here on Talking Politics. Very glad you're here. To your, to your question, um, I'll jump right to, to my point to where um, it is the municipalities, similar to Peter's point, just on a tier under level, the municipalities need to have the flexibility to make the decisions on where they will put the National Guard. And it is my understanding that that, as the mayor said, was not beneficial. That is not, and, and the governor assigning what the duties are to a municipality, I don't know, is as helpful as the municipalities need. Uh, as far as to the dynamics of their relationship, I think um, um, on one point, the governor, to a sense, doesn't care. He's not running. Um, and to the mayor's point, I don't think she cares to a point where her concentration right now is stopping the spread and making uh, uh, vaccinations available to the city of Boston residents, as well as trying to also handle what's coming into play uh, from some influence from the state, the impact here in Boston Public Schools. And so the relationship for me is secondary. There's a relationship going on right now between the variant and the residents of Boston and Massachusetts. And whatever your position, the priority needs to be eradicating this spread. Very good point about why the relationship issue might not be as key as I suggested it could be. I should have mentioned, by the way, when we rolled that bite, uh, the governor had said Boston was offered school bus drivers uh, who would be able to keep kids going to and from school. And the mayor's response, which we didn't see in full, was that was for six passenger vans, which we just don't use in Boston. So this, this would not have helped us. 
Absolutely. Let me ask you about another point of friction that Mayor Wu is encountering. This involving Boston First Responders United, a group of public safety professionals who have been very critical of the mayor uh, tightening up the vaccination requirement for city workers. It used to be under acting Mayor Janey that you had to be vaccinated unless you tested negative, in which case you could keep coming to work. That's about to change uh, next week under a new Wu administration policy. Boston First Responders United is not happy about this. Let's look and listen to how they made their displeasure known when Mayor Wu inaugurated the city council this week. And if you were up at the inauguration, a flight above, uh, it was audible enough that as the mayor spoke, she was not drowned out, but she had to compete with them. Uh, you are a close student of Boston politics. What do you see as you size up these protests? I'm going to be very blunt with you, Adam. Um, uh, as I said before, the mayor is making decisions that will uh, do, do their best to eradicate the spread. I, I honestly believe that that you know the mandate is an outlet. There's an undercurrent um, from some of the tone of the protesters. I've seen a lot of uh, uh, chatter online that they're they call themselves the Boston. Uh, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, first line responders. Boston first. Uh, Boston uh, first responders united. Yeah. Yes. Uh, are they from Boston? You know, now, can we check everybody's address and whatnot? Are there some Bostonians that are a part of it? Probably. But the truth of the matter is this is an outlet um, that these the sentiment and the cadence of the protest just makes me wonder um, if Marty Walsh, if Tom Menino would would uh, uh, experience this, if, if this was Kim Janey and she was successful, would they have the same cadence? Probably. So I'm a little concerned about the cadence um, and, and some of the uh, uh, signage that I've seen that really makes me wonder is is the basis race? Is it genderism? Boston politics is changing. And, and, and that demographic that is well represented there, Adam, um, is using the mandate as an outlet. But I think there's a different undercurrent. I should know, by the way. Oh, go ahead, Senator Rush. I just uh, thank you so much. I just want to jump in on, on Jimmy's comments because I, too, have been a target of anti-vaxxer protests over the last several years, predating COVID, in fact, um, because I, I filed the leading comprehensive immunization infrastructure legislation in the state back in 2019, before COVID-19 hit, before PPE became a household term, and the uh, the misogyny, the sexism, the um, anti-Semitism that has run as an undercurrent. Um, in fact, we're seeing it uh, just emerge in the news um, now in, in Northampton, as well as we have seen in, in every corner of this Commonwealth, and I have seen it personally um, in, in personal spaces, including people yell, calling me Third Reich Rausch as the granddaughter of Holocaust survivors. So, uh, you know, anyone who still thinks that the anti-vax movement is not deeply rooted in white supremacy, in conspiracy theories, in anti-Semitism and racism is intentionally willfully ignorant of the circumstances on the ground. Peter Katz, I think I saw you raising your fingers. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say that the, the, the senator is 100 percent right. What we have here is in part, you know, um, the dregs, the, the dregs of the Trump supporters using race and gender to further the Iran's. But the end is goes beyond COVID. This has to do with public employee unions 
wanting, demanding the right to uh, control their workspace as opposed to public officials doing it. And I think that while the teachers are doing the same thing, minus the racism and the misogyny, that the police fight and fire workers are using race and misogyny to um, try to maintain their control over their workspace. It's unacceptable. Um, we should mention, I, you know, we may have viewers saying, wait a minute, I, I'm a, a firefighter, I'm a police officer, I showed up at the protest and I wasn't carrying, I, I was there, I saw some of the signs that you were mentioning. Jimmy, uh, I've seen other signs deployed against Mayor Wu, which are extremely ugly, but we may have some people watching saying, wait a minute, this is just about, uh, you know, me not wanting to get the, the vaccine and believing it's my personal right or believing that it should be subject to collective bargaining. So Peter, what would you say to people like that who, who might make that argument? I would say that if you see um, racist or misogynist signs, you should leave. That you may feel that way, but you don't belong in a group there and you have to find another way to express your dissatisfaction. I should mention, since we've been talking about opposition to vaccine mandates in Boston and elsewhere, uh, the people protesting where the mayor is taking the city of Boston are outliers. There was a new Mass Inc. poll that came out a day or two ago, which showed support for these type of vaccine mitigation measures in the city of Boston and environs and around the state. 65% of Massachusetts residents and 73% of people in Boston and the inner suburbs back requiring proof of vaccination for employees at private businesses. There's a little less support for requiring proof of vaccination from customers, but it's still 56% of mass residents and 65% of people in and right around the city. So that's some important context. Uh, Becca, let's go back to you. I'd love to hear your take on the point Peter raised, which is that Democrats have a veto-proof majority in the state house. And if you guys want to, and I know you, know you don't speak for all Democrats, you speak for yourself, but Democrats as a group, if they wanted to proactively shape the state's COVID policy, as opposed to waiting for Baker to take the lead, it could be happening, and it doesn't seem to be happening. Your bill to require masking through the end of the school year uh, is yet to, I, has it gotten a hearing yet? I should know, but I don't. Uh, it did, it did okay. have a hearing. And, and you know, and, and this is a, if, as I mentioned earlier in our conversation today, you know, the executive branch literally has in its title, execute. It is there, and I actually am a former employee of the executive branch. I was an executive branch secretary level attorney at the Executive Office of Health and Human Services. There is a specific design in our separation of powers, and it is the executive branch that is designed specifically to act quickly and hastily in order to respond to changing circumstances exactly like this on the ground. Right, the legislature is again by design slower, more deliberate. We have two hundred people. We we but again by design lead by committee. <laughs> right, there's a big difference between um, you know working as a collaborative body and working as a single executive. And it is his responsibility and his administration's responsibility to be proactive. Right, in fact, our whole vision of healthcare over the last several years has shifted from a reactive view to a proactive view, right? We talk a lot about preventive healthcare these That's days. True. And we are not seeing that 
in any way, especially right now, from the governor or his administration. I think I may have said this on air the last time I, I talked to you from the GBH studios, but as a parent, just to put my cards on the table, very happy, very, very happy that my kids are back in school in person this year. I would echo Mayor Wu that it's clearly superior, better for them. I want them to be able to stay there. That's why I am hoping that either Education Commissioner Jeffrey Riley extends the mask mandate or you and your legislative colleagues pass your bill because that, that's what I want to see as a parent. Jimmy Hills, back to you. Uh, the mayor's vax mandates are going to be kicking in next week. So customers are going to need to show proof of vaccination to enter a variety of indoor venues. And uh, we're probably going to hear from some business owners saying, wait a minute, this is hurting my business. This is terrible. We're probably also going to see some public employees losing their jobs because they refuse to get vaccinated and they've drawn a personal line in the sand. Do you think that the protests that all of us were talking about earlier are going to be simmering down in the weeks ahead or do you expect them to intensify? Adam, I'm going to ask you to come back to the question because I want to go back to the senator's point and, okay. and to that Peter made as well. And so when we talk about uh, uh, the union's uh, uh, fight uh, to control a workspace and the lack of the senator's point of the governor's office to execute, here's where the problem is. Um, we are in a novel virus world pandemic. And so we need as residents to understand as much as the science and things are changing at the CDC. And I understand that folks had some issues with the CDC the last couple of weeks. Oh, yeah. We need to have quick expedited execution of those mandates. If you leave the varying decisions up to the employers who go out into the public, who go home to someone who possibly has a comorbidity, who has a child, who goes to school, the, 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 the ambiguity of what could happen is just very, very scary. And so Adam, I think I remember your point. So again, to my point, the mayor is making decisions. Listen, we need leadership to lead to the senator's point. And though there are certain implications that Mayor uh, uh, Janie had raised around the requirement of the vaccination card, are there inequities? Are there reasons? Listen, we're at a point now that away from religious exemption and doctor proven uh, 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 medical exemption, the best thing that we can do is get vaccinated and boosted to be protected from this virus. And there is a difference of opinion, and I understand that, but I ask those folks that have that opinion to present to me data science that says that there's a macro issue with the vaccinations in a manner that the benefits outweigh the real validity of some minimal risk. Peter Kadzis. And, you know, I'm sorry. No, to answer your question, are they probably going to intensify toward the mayor and some others? They probably will. But I sense a cadence from the mayor that she's standing her ground. And as you put the numbers up there, numbers don't lie. Most of the people that live in Boston Yep. and elected this mayor support the fact of the mandates that she's implemented. Peter Kadzis, last question to you, uh, and it's a huge one. There was a Board of Health meeting in the city of Beverly right before oh, yeah. New Year's at which people opposed to mask mandates and vax mandates basically ground the proceedings to a halt in the ugliest possible way. They accused Beverly officials of being communists. It was proposed by one of the people speaking out in opposition that they head down to Boston and burn down Mayor Wu's house. That was the actual suggestion floated at the meeting. Is participatory politics in Massachusetts going to be able to survive the COVID era, or is it going to render completely toxic politics at the city and town level? 
Well, it's it's certainly injecting a degree of toxicity I haven't seen um, since the busing crisis, the desegregation crisis in Boston many years ago. Um, look, I fear COVID is going to be like, is like the war in Afghanistan. It's going to be with us a long, long time. Hopefully not that long. But as I said, we're in a transition between dealing with COVID as a fact of life. We're moving away dealing with it as an emergency and transitioning to dealing with it as a fact of life. Yeah. Um, these people in Beverly, it, you know, which is right near Salem where the Salem witch trials were, you know, it's a reverse situation. These people are people the anti-vaxxers in Beverly who still believe in witches. You know, they think vaccinations are evil magic. Um, well, I hope that there's a simmering down that goes on as we learn to live with it because it's, it's a little too heated and a little frightening right now. Peter Kadzis, Jimmy Hills, State Senator Becca Rausch, thank you all for being part of this. Thank you for having us. Finally tonight, several viewers got in touch to say I should have pushed back during my last show when one of our guests said the U.S. is a constitutional republic rather than a democracy. I didn't because it is not that simple. The Electoral College made Donald Trump president instead of Hillary Clinton, even though she won the popular vote. The Senate gives the state of Wyoming, which has fewer than 600,000 residents, the same political clout as California, which has almost 40 million. And don't even get me started on territories like Puerto Rico, whose residents can't vote for president and have no real voice in Congress. All that said, the idea that the U.S. shouldn't even try to be a democracy is getting a lot of support these days, maybe because the GOP keeps losing the popular presidential vote. If you are dismissive of the idea of American democracy, consider some advice Ronald Reagan once gave in a speech at his alma mater, Eureka College. This democracy of ours, which sometimes we've treated so lightly, is more than ever a comfortable cloak. So let us not tear it asunder, for no man knows when it is destroyed, where or when he will find its protective warmth again. That's it for tonight, but do come back next week. Keep the feedback coming, and if you have a political story idea, send it our way whether it's statewide, city-centric, or something going on in a small town that you think the people of Massachusetts should know about, we'd love to hear it. The email is talkingpolitics at wgbh.org. The website is gbhnews slash talkingpolitics, or find me on Twitter at Riley Adam. For now, thank you for watching, and good night.